0: Hey, one more thing before you go. Narcissism, see if I can get this next word right. Machiavellianism and psychopathy. Are they dangerous? Are they psychotic? Are they serial killers? Combined, can they ruin your life? Do you know someone that fits this mold? Stay tuned in this episode, we're going to discuss those possibilities and learn what a dark triad is, how to recognize one, how they've played a part in history, and they're still playing a part in our world today, including in politics. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is One More Thing Before You Go, The Thing About Dark Triads, A Unique Kind of Evil. My guest today is James Leo York. He's a Kentucky copywriter who focuses on screenplays that build brands. He popularized the use of evolutionary behavior in marketing and makes promotional content for the Inventors Network of Kentucky. In writing circles, he's known as Leo, but listeners of his Paranormal Podcast, that's where I found him, the 13th floor, known as James. We're going to have a conversation with both of them. I'm really excited to have Leo, James, back on the show, and looking forward to learning about dark triads. That's somebody that possesses three distinct but related personality traits. We're going to learn all about them. Most of you already know Leo. He was on the show in an episode 68, where we talked about The 13th Floor, his podcast that explores the bizarre, the unique, the macabre, and the paranormal. So if you want to get to know him a little bit more, you can listen to him on that episode, as well as find him On the 13th floor. Welcome to the show, Leo. Uh, Thanks for having me again. Look, I'm really excited to have you on here, and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation, actually.
1: Absolutely. Me too.
0: So, those of you that know James, um, or Leo, whichever you know him by, uh, we had him on the show a little while ago. You can check back on that episode, number 68, where we talked about the 13th floor. It's his podcast that explores the bizarre, the unique, the macabre, and paranormal. So if you want to get to know him a little bit more, listen to that episode as well as find him on the 13th floor.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for so, that.
0: That way we don't we can go over where you came from and where you go and all this good stuff. But I think we got a lot of more important. That's good English, isn't it? A lot of more. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot more stuff that we need to talk about. So... Let's get uh, let's get to it. Sounds um, good. The first time I ever heard the term uh, "dark triad" was you. Actually, it's not it's not a term that you hear around the water cooler. Actually, it's kind of kind of a unique term. I mean, I, from the law enforcement perspective, I've always heard of the triads, which is like a Chinese or right. you know, crime gang organization, criminal syndicate, right. um, which. If they're out there listening no offense <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah different kind of try it altogether
0: yeah it's 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 a unique type of evil I think
1: agreed you know, yeah kind of it's uh, it's something more people do need to know about um knowing knowing these traits could be the difference between a a happy peaceful life and a, a very chaotic and and shortened one so yeah well,
0: it's kind of a I mean it's it's an interesting term. Um, let's talk about where it originated from, if, if you know, and how, um, you know, like uh, what, the, what the, uh, the personality traits, because I know there's three of them that kind of uh, encompass this.
1: So, yeah, um, I'm not 100% sure who originally coined the term. I would imagine it was either Jung or Freud, but uh, it really became popularized by a, a series of psychological evaluations of people in death row. Uh, People notice that there's a tendency of folks who are on death row, some of the worst offenders, to have uh, just a synergy, a very bad synergy of three very uh, generally associated as negative personality traits, psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and, of course, narcissism. And just uh, the the prevalence of those three just in tandem uh, in, in a place like death row where you're generally going to have a very narrow spectrum of uh, just legitimately, uh, I don't want to stereotype everyone on death row as evil, but I think you're going to find a disproportionate amount of quote-unquote evil people in that kind of area as opposed to, say, a random cross-section of them all. So, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's interesting because the the fact that you've got three of... In psychology, actually, you've got three different things that kind of combine together. So, you know, I'm familiar with other instances where you've got something like bipolar, maybe, and sure. you've got schizophrenia, or, you know, you've got depression and you have anxiety. But sure. in this particular case, the narcissism, the Machiavellianism, you know, and the, what's the third one? Psychopathy. Psychopathy. So can you, can you help us break those down so we understand sure. what each one of them are?
1: Absolutely. And I'll I'll even break them down from uh, least dangerous to most dangerous. So uh, oddly enough, when people think of dangerous people, they tend to think of psychopaths, but actually only a minority of psychopaths are actually truly dangerous. Uh, Generally speaking, psychopathy is the inability or a diminished ability to empathize with others, as well as often displaying uh, what could be regarded as Destructive, most often self destructive personality traits. So, somebody who goes joyriding really, really fast without any concern about possibly striking somebody or getting killed themselves, that would be deemed a psychopathic trait. Somebody having uh, the inability to empathize with somebody, you know, uh, for example, somebody gets arrested for theft and they're asked, you know, well, what would you do in this position? and their response is, well, I wasn't in this position, their inability to look at it from the other side, those would be psychopathic traits. Um, however, this can be a, a, actually a good thing, a, a disproportionate number of, for example, CEOs are psychopathic and it actually makes sense because they're only focused on what's good for them, which is incidentally what's good for the company, which means they can make really, really, really fast, kind of considered cruel decisions like mass layoffs Without blinking. <laughs> so that could be a good thing. And even in my own personal uh, view of psychopathy, you know, again, some of them are violent, some of them are dangerous, but doctors a lot of times benefit from being psychopaths. And if you think about it, who would you rather have operating on you? Somebody who is absolutely terrified, you know, at, at some level at least. That they're gonna mess up, and oh man, what am I gonna tell their family if I mess up? Or somebody who's just humming along, do doo do It's just another at the office. They don't really care what happens. Uh, they're getting paid either way. They're actually gonna do that operation better, because they're not, you know, their head's not out of the game. So there's an advantage in that context to being a psychopath.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of scary in that regard, I guess. When you don't <laughs> yeah, think a little about bit. It. Because there's people around walking around in society that that are that way. Yeah. Tons of them, actually. And there's probably a borderline as to, well, I mean, I'm sure that's where serial killers come from.
1: Oh, absolutely. Serial killers, generally speaking, uh, are are, are psychopaths. Um, Not always. Sometimes there's just some other criteria that leads to that behavior. But more often than not, yeah. Um, A a good way of looking at it is, uh, you know, I've I've talked to you before about Kentucky. You know, all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons, there's right. rye and there's Irish whiskey. Well, all, uh, all almost all serial killers are psychopaths, but most psychopaths are not serial killers. Um, so it is scary, but they some of them do play a role in society and, and do function on one way or another. And you know sociopaths, for example, are, are very similar. Except they they tend to be even better at functioning, and they tend to have su- a reduced rather than an absent sense of empathy. So that's sort of a, a difference between the two.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I met a guy yesterday that actually confessed to being a psychopath, and he started a oh, podcast, yeah. and he he calls him he calls himself a psychopath in the podcast. Wow. Um, wow. He realized that I won't. I'm not saying any names, uh, sure, out of, out of privacy practice, but. He, um, it, in my old line of work, I ran into psychopaths. In my own line of work, I ran into sociopaths. Um, in the majority of time, I didn't run into something like that that was combined. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that well, yeah. even, even these three, the, the Machiavellianism, the, the narcissist, and the, uh, everything, i never, I've never, well I can't say I've never. I believe that when I look back on it after talking to you and then doing research for this episode, that I think I've had contact with individuals that fit that mold mm. you know, within, the, sure. within the same thing. In fact, I think, I think in society, we've created characters that are beloved characters, actually, that fit that mold. Absolutely. We, we yeah, in fact, it. I would
1: say we've romanticized it to a dangerous point. I think that uh, it kind of reminds me of how about mm, 10, 20 years ago, People loved self-diagnosing with Aspergers because all of a sudden there were a lot of protagonists on TV who had <laughs> Aspergers. Well, now all of a sudden you see a lot of psychopathic protagonists, and it's almost like it's the cool thing to be. So you have people who actively try to uh, sort of fit their own personality traits within that sphere, and it's it's like that's not something you should want to be. I, no. I think it's a you know, at, at the at worst, I think it's a sad existence. As somebody who's very empathic, it's to me, it'd be like being colorblind. Like well, it's, it's like being emotionally colorblind.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like um, Joaquin, Felix, uh, Joaquin Phoenix as uh, the Joker, uh, or, or yeah. Heath Ledger as the Joker. You yeah. know, people people are like, wow, I love this character. Love this character. Love this character. But everything that that defines a triad defines both of those characters. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, no empathy. No empathy. No compassion. No humanity. Um, right. Get the job done. Get the business done. This is my goal. I want to meet, and I'll do anything I, I can right. to make to meet that goal. Yeah. So. Well, you know,
1: if we had a society, if somebody told me, I need you to create a social system that encourages psychopathy and narcissism, I would imagine we've we've pretty much done it. <laughs> like with social right. media, especially uh, these these short form things like Instagram and TikTok and whatnot, I mean, it's just become such an incentive, uh, to be, uh, to have those personality traits. We've, we've given people with those personality traits, every advantage to succeed in modernity. And it's, there is something terrifying about it because it does mean that, you know, right now psychopaths comprise somewhere between five and 10% of the population Hmm. in a couple of generations, it's probably going to double like every generation just because. You know, there's such an incentive, an economic incentive now to have those traits.
0: Well, I think a society is, well, it comes to one of my questions I was going to ask you. Do you think, do you think that that a dark triad is is genetic or do you think it's made? Yeah, uh, I, I think are, it's,
1: are uh, I, I think it's a combination. Um, and actually, just a, a little backstory on on narcissism. Narcissism is the view that you are. Uh, sort of the most important thing. You're, you're, it comes from actually Greek myth. There was a, a Greek mythological character named Narcissus, and he fell in love with his own reflection, and he attempted to, to kiss it multiple times. It was a reflection in a pool of water, and he drowned. And that's where the term narcissist comes from. It was I, I was probably Freud because he loved Greek mythology, um, but a, a narcissist thinks that they're the most important thing in the world, and unlike a psychopath. Uh, I think there are psychopaths who do good in the world. I think there are psychopaths who you could argue are good; uh, they actually are good. They just can't empathize. I don't think I've ever met or heard of. I don't even know if it's possible for a narcissist to be a good person because they only care about themselves. It's not a question of a lack of empathy. That's that goes. That's common, but it's it's that they literally cannot imagine thinking of anything but them. Most of the time, they can't even imagine a world in which they're dead. For example, they they just imagine it's 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 the antithesis of one more thing before you go. Right. They can't imagine a world existing without them. It's like you know, the sun would burn out when they did.
0: You know, you can look back. Even we'll I'll go back to the entertainment aspect of it because, you know, ironically enough, when I did my research for this, I found that the uh, majority of, of psychologists were also attributing, like important historical figures. Um, as well as present day figures and characters that all kind of fall into the mold of the Dark Triad. You know, you like King Henry the Second, King Henry the Eighth. You know, these individuals. It's all about me, all about me, all about me. Right. And I'll do whatever I need to get about me, and yeah. what is for me. Um, same thing with, um, well, not not necessarily the me part of it, but they referred to uh, the Dark Knight, Batman. And they referred to um, James Bond even because James Bond is no compassion, no, it's empathy. True. Get my job done. This is my goal. My goal is to be the best agent that I can be. And this is how I'm going to do it. You know, I don't care who I step on, who I kill, you know, this kind of a thing. And, right. and that they, they, the uh, Ian Fleming created the character, but he created it out of the loss of, of his wife. You know, when James Bond lost his wife and mm-hmm. that created the environment to build on the, the dark triad side of it where he's got no compassion, no empathy. And he's a oh. no narcissist where I'm Bond, James Bond. <laughs> right. You know what I mean, uh, no, and, that's interesting. I never but, thought of
1: James Bond as being like that, but he totally is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but but then he also they also refer to individual and this is not a political statement this is just fact and and you sure. can look it up yourself not not you and I'm not saying you but anybody out there can look it up for themselves in today's society they believe that um, even the political figures like Donald Trump is is like a dark triad because he's he's not compassionate he's he doesn't have humanity he doesn't have empathy all he cares about is me 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 look at me look at me look at me. It is documented all the way back to his dad trying to impress his father, and his mother telling him, you can do no wrong, kind right. of the situation. So I I think I think that you find them, or, or do you feel in the research that I found, but do you feel that um, these type of individuals that consider are considered tri- dark triad can be found more in business and in politics and in oh. positions of power?
1: Yeah, without without doubt. Like it's, it's not even really debatable. Uh, they are drawn to positions of power and politics. You can't get much more powerful than that. Uh, politics allows people to accrue a great deal of wealth. Um, so yeah, everything about politics is going to draw narcissists and, uh, often psychopaths. And again, to reiterate, I'd much rather have a psychopathic, uh, president, king, Lord, God, emperor, whatever, than a, uh, a a narcissistic one, because if, if they're psychopathic, they can really make some cutthroat decisions that might be for the common good, and they don't agonize over those decisions. Whereas if they're a narcissist, it's those decisions are all going to ultimately go down to how is this going to affect my reputation? And that could be substantially worse for a nation than, you know, some cutthroat decision that's ultimately pragmatic and
0: yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a situation where I think any leader needs to be a certain amount of psychopath because you do have to make those decisions. You do have, you have to send people to war. You have to yeah. send kids to war, you know, yeah. and I say kids because when Vietnam came about, I, I had friends of mine that went to Vietnam. My uncles and aunts went to Vietnam. I almost went to Vietnam mm-hmm. and, and they stopped it right before I was drafted. Yeah. So it's a situation that you kind of go, okay, I was still a kid, you you know
1: yeah yeah i look at uh war now and i see these these young men who were drafted or not drafted but in this case who who, you know are called to serve and all that and and it does it astonishes me because i think back to like how i i think about 18 year old me and i'm like i didn't know anything (laughs) Uh, give me a gun and and put me (laughs) on a plane goodness
0: yep it's kind of it's kind of crazy how that works it's it's you stop and think back on that and you go, wow. Yeah, but then there are some countries, in the third world countries mostly, but you get kids that are 14 years old, 13 some years soldiers, old. They're putting yeah. a gun in their hands. Yeah. Just, That's it's why the AK
1: is the most popular gun in the world over. A uh, little kid can clean one, field strip it, easy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I told somebody down in Arizona, a little kid, a 10-year-old little girl went to a shooting range, unfortunately couldn't hold on to it and killed the, uh, killed the uh, range officer geez um, louise yeah it was kind of crazy so um this is a personal question just because it comes from uh my background i sure. was on the domestic violence task force and now that i look back on some of the the, the task force just to reiterate the task force that we were on was a multi-agency task force and we did the worst of the domestic mm-hmm. violence not that any domestic violence is acceptable but we we actually did the worst of The domestic violence, Um, the real hardcore cases, Um, you know, the guys that that took like gutted cats in front of their spouse to say this is going to happen to you, and then threw it in the trash can, with no empathy, no compassion, no remorse. Sat down, drank their beer, turned the TV on, said, "Get me another beer." Right kind of situation. (laughs) I look back on that, and I think that a lot of domestic violence situations, you don't necessarily have to be in power or in politics or in a leadership role to fit this dark triad.
1: Absolutely, and, and you, what you're saying, it's a perfect example of how psychopathy, as scary and dangerous as it is, doesn't hold a candle to narcissism. Because uh, you know if somebody's in the dark triad, obviously they have all those traits and they're much more dangerous as a result. But I have found that domestic violence is usually a result of narcissism and not psychopathy. And it's a perfect example of that desire for control over something. You know, some of these people, they, they aren't suited to be bankers. They're not suited to be senators. So they just want to be the God of one thing. And that's usually someone smaller than weaker than them. And if they're a man, that usually means a woman. If they're a woman, it usually means a child. And so what you end up with are these very, very mortifying instances of just the cruelest kinds of abuses that. And that's really what makes them dangerous. You know, people think about the villains in Lifetime movies. And of course, they're analogs in real life. And they think, well, why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she just leave? Well, when they leave, that's actually when they're at the most danger, unfortunately. Because if, if they leave, a narcissist, a narcissist, that is, there's no greater sin. I mean, you, you have literally defied the will of a god, the only being that matters. And there's only one course of action to a narcissist that, that will make up for that. If they can't have you, no one can. And that's where you see these terrifying instances of homicide.
0: And unfortunately, that's why restraining orders in that particular instance don't work, because a restraining order is a piece of paper. Yes, exactly. there's consequences, but you've got to catch them. And right. If you don't catch them in the act, and then they get away with it, yeah. and, and they can go back and do it again, and all it does is build upon their ego to say, I got away with it again. I got away yeah. with it again.
1: Well, furthermore, a, restra- a, restra- a, restra- a restraining order is a boundary. And nothing makes narcissists angrier than a boundary. You could come up with the most. I've, I've done this before. I've actually manipulated narcissists before by telling them, you, you, you can do this, you can do that. Just don't do, and then whatever it is I actually want them to end up doing so that they'll, they'll not be as much of a problem for whoever I'm speaking on their behalf. And guess what they will do? <laughs> the one thing they're not allowed to do. That's just mm. the inherent nature of, of a narcissist. If you give them a boundary, they must cross it.
0: I've dealt with a few of those individuals in my career. Yes, I have. In my personal life, too, actually. Sure. Very interesting. So yeah. I'm assuming that um, you know, the uh, there can be male and female. Absolutely.
1: There, there can. Um, now, statistically, and this is based on limited observation uh, and not my observation, mind you, but uh, a number of, of professionals have concluded that there are far more male narcissists and psychopaths than female. And I think the reason for that is environmental. And you know, you asked me if I thought it was genetic or environmental. I think there's a genetic component to psychopathy, but I think narcissism and psychopathy both build on environmental factors, including trauma. And we live in a world where men are supposed to compete with other men, gain prestige, gain money, and so on. Uh, You know, so there's all these factors where if you have that personality trait, there's an immediate advantage, at least in the short term, So I think that lends itself to either more male narcissists and psychopaths or, and this is possible, more male openly narcissists and psychopaths and women are more inclined to be covert. And covert narcissism and psychopathy is absolutely a thing. And it does fly under the radar. Similarly to sexual abuse. Sexual abuse, uh, if you actually look at the numbers, it's actually a about equal male and female but you don't really hear about like you know when when I mention like a sexual predator you immediately think of a dude with a pencil mustache and coke bottle glasses and a comb-over uh, you, you know you're not gonna think of some you know Marilyn Monroe looking lady even though they're definitely out there
0: well, absolutely I think you see that in some of the uh, high profile cases where teachers in the middle school absolutely you know end up being caught and, and so forth um, I, I read that uh, the, what psychologists are finding in society as well as professionals in, in other forms is that the dark triads are uh, what makes them so dangerous is their malevolent
1: oh yeah absolutely uh, and that goes double for narcissists because if if they are crossed it does lead to and that's the, the sad thing about the dark triad is they all build off each other if somebody is a narcissist they're not necessarily dangerous but they are probably not inherently capable of doing anything for for anyone. I mean, everything is selfish inherently. Psychopaths have limited empathy and Machiavellians are just capable and willing to manipulate others. That's all that means. Uh, poor Machiavelli, by the way, he was not a Machiavellian. He was actually a really nice guy and he gets that named after him because he wrote The Prince. But, uh, but if you take all three of those traits and you combine them, what you end up with is someone who is utterly selfish, like a narcissist, who is not afraid to take enormous risks that could harm others, like a psychopath, and is capable of manipulating people into helping them get those goals done, like a Machiavellian. So when you compound those, you have something that's infinitely more dangerous than just one of those traits. I, I
0: think that, you know, you look back and we well, are talking about history and, and some of the ones from the past and the politics from today, You can you can pretty much put most dictators within that, Within that oh, realm, absolutely!
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You'd be scarce to find a dictator who doesn't fit that. Um, in fact, I would argue, you know, it's it's. I can't remember who said power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, one corrupt people are in just gravitate towards those positions anyway, and this goes hand in hand with that environmental component. I think just being given that kind of power is going to innately cause a person to become inherently. More narcissistic and psychopathic, uh, period. Machiavellianism, I think that's more of an innate trait, and it's the least problematic of all three until it gets compounded. Right. You know, if somebody's just Machiavellian, it's like, wow, you you talk your way out of parking tickets, and you're really good at selling insurance. Uh, but then when you when you add a psychopathy and narcissism to it, then then you got a serial killer.
0: Can we put car salesmen in that?
1: (laughs) absolutely. You know, speaking of which, perfect example of Machiavellianism and the danger of it. Um, uh, Shoot, who was that serial killer in Wisconsin who ate people? Uh,
0: Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about he, um, uh, Dahmer?
1: Dahmer, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. Perfect example of Machiavellianism. He abducted a 14-year-old boy, took him to his house, drugged him, was going to murder and eat him this boy gets loose and runs to the police and they recognized him as part of the gay community this boy and they sort of turned a blind eye to a lot of the, the creepy more underage stuff uh, in those communities uh, at least during this period of time i'm not sure about now um, but he was drugged and so he was slurring and he's begging them to take them away because he's telling them this man's going to kill him and jeffrey Dahmer shows up tells, explains to the police, oh my God, (laughs) no, he's my lover, and uh, he just had a little one too many, that's why he's slurring. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get him home, I'm going to get him sobered up, take care. They, of course, believed him, he takes him home, eats him, you know, rapes the body, the whole nine yards, he does atrocious things, and he got caught is the thing, but perfect example, you know, here's somebody who is probably not narcissistic in this instance, I'm not sure, but definitely a psychopath, and definitely Mm. the fact that he was Machiavellian, this is what allowed him to get away with it.
0: Because Talk he was away. able to yeah, persuade I didn't know people. that I didn't know that part of that story. well. Mm-hmm. That was kind of crazy. I wonder what those cops were thinking after that.
1: Yeah, right. Oof.
0: It's like, um, yeah, who won that pool? Like <laughs> I, I I I knew something was wrong. You didn't. Right. That's crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's such a thing as a white triad?
1: Ooh. Oh, what a fun concept. I've never heard of one. But, uh, I would imagine that people who are empathic, uh, would be on with an empath. I would argue is the opposite of a psychopath. Um, I would argue that an altruist is the opposite of a narcissist. And that only leaves Machiavellianism. What would you call that? I suppose, uh, genuine leadership, like where, where you, you know, you're not manipulating people, they're actually following you because you're looking out for them. You know, everybody's knows somebody like that, who, you know, it's the, the, the top brass sergeant who uh, is in the trenches with the uh, the the, ba- the basic infantry, that kind of person. Uh, and you know, it's funny. We even see good leaders like that. You know, we've had leaders who I would argue you, you could say are, are white triad folks. They they are empathic and they uh, are altruistic and they're they're not beneath being with the 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 lowest ranked folks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who would fit all of those, but. It's kind of funny I can think of a historical narcissist who was also very altruistic and 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 relatable and that would be Alexander the Great. Um he was yes. somebody who was uh simultaneously thought he was destined to rule the world <laughs> yeah. but was also uh just the kind of guy that his uh his soldiers absolutely adored. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, he um I think he uh took all of his gold and paved the road to his funeral oh. and his burial with the gold and then made sure that his hands were dropped down below his his uh ca- the bed that they had him on while well, they carried him up there so that his hands r- run along the gold road all the way up huh. to where he was buried
1: that's interesting i didn't know that
0: huh. just, interesting uh, thing i just learned um, well, I didn't just learn it. We learned it a, a little while ago. History Channel. love the History Channel.
1: Right, me too. Yeah, fun cool. fact about Alexander. This, I think, is a great example of why you should not be a narcissist. It's very humbling to consider. You know, he fought so many men, and no part of his body wasn't scarred. He survived so many battles, but he died young because he was bit by the humble mosquito. You know, he got malaria, <laughs> and that's what did him in. So even even a, an emperor can get laid out by a mosquito.
0: Yeah, take well. You know, ironically enough, you may. I think we talked about this in the last episode or prior to it. Um, when I got my rheumatoid arthritis, severe rheumatoid arthritis, my doctor, who is now uh, written up in several journals with his research, attributed my rheumatoid it's not genetic in me. He did a DNA testing, did not find it anywhere in my DNA. That um, I had taken a trip to Mexico, my wife and I did. We were in Tulum and Chichen Itza, and he had a study group where seventeen other people were in the same area of Mexico. All came back with the same type of rheumatoid arthritis. I have
1: whoa, trippy.
0: He think he attributed it to, and he continued that research, and in fact, he's written up in several medical journals now with his study, including I'm in there, I'm, I'm within that, in regard mm-hmm. to. Um, how I obtained or how I got rheumatoid arthritis? Wow, it's pretty crazy. So I mean, he
1: so he thinks it was a mosquito bite specifically. Yep, he thinks it was wow. a mosquito bite
0: that was bitten um, down in either Tulum or Chichen Itza, Mexico. Trippy,
1: huh? Well, and I'll be, that is bizarre.
0: Pretty crazy. Mm. Yeah, and and I can I can believe it. I mean, you look back. I look sure. back in my history, my both sides of my family. All the way back to, well, upon my grandmother or my mother's side of the family, we're back to like the 14th century. There's no mention of any type of rheumatism or rheumatoid or anything else. My mother had seven other brothers and sisters, no rheumatoid arthritis. Um, You know, and, and their kids, no rheumatoid arthritis. I'm the only one from that side. On my father's side, same thing. I went back, I couldn't go back as far as the 14th century, but as far back as I could go, uh, which was about uh, the 1820 area. That's
1: pretty far back. <laughs> no
0: mention of it. Um, in Come fact, on. we had a doctor in the family um, in the 1800s, 1900s, and um, uh, nothing about rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. Yeah. That's
1: neat that you guys are doctors. My family up until two generations ago it was just witchcraft. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, kind of you can almost almost put them together, almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both perform a little bit of unique uh, magic. <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, mm-hmm. they uh, my surgeon did a little magic and got me out of a wheelchair, see? So Absolutely. It kind of kind of works. Um yeah. yeah, it's uh from that perspective it's uh, kind of an interesting uh Thought, you go back on history, especially with Alexander the Great, and that was one of the other ones I was going to ask you about actually uh, down the road here in regard to whether or not you felt that he might be something like a, a dark triad or because of of what he wanted to accomplish. I mean, theoretically, if you look back at most people who tried to conquer 90% of of the world had to have some form of that one way or the other because of, of what they did and how they did it.
1: I imagine so, yeah. Uh, it would be it would be difficult i think i mean just think about the role of of a dictator or a politician e- even in a republic you know the idea that you should control people the idea that you should be in charge you know it's a it's an odd thing uh it's an odd view to have to look at, at a number of, of individuals who can make their own decisions and say no I need to uh, I need to micromanage that. I need to make decisions for these folks. Uh, I think just inherently there's going to be a narcissistic streak in people who are drawn to politics, and that doesn't mean everyone. But I certainly think it's disproportionate. I think if I think if you were to round up a hundred politicians and a hundred uh, I don't know, let's think of just a random realtors, a hundred realtors. I think you would find that you know maybe five ten percent of those realtors. Uh, have psychopathic or narcissistic traits, they probably all have Machiavellian traits because you 've got to be good at selling but uh then, if you were to look at those politicians i i 'd say it would be at least half of them and that's that 's me being generous It's probably higher
0: yeah, I agree with that. I mean I think that I think at one time or another we 've all run into a dark triad in one way or another, not realizing who we were were going into and some people, if you look back on on who they called evil. You know, as like I said earlier, it's a unique type of evil, I think, and, and that unique type of evil is because they have those traits that combine, and those traits that combine make them a person that really doesn't care one way or the other, can't empathize with you, has no compassion for you, and wants what they're going to want, and if you're standing in their way, too bad, Yeah, you know, kind of thing, and then wants everybody to thank you for it, thank them for it, so to speak. You know, you should be grateful that I that I stepped on you and and claim the latter, so to speak.
1: That's that's how they look at it, yeah, because nobody else matters. Nobody matters but them. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you were to rank them, I would say if you if you meet someone who's Machiavellian, don't even worry about it. If you meet somebody who's psychopathic, evaluate their other aspects of their personality, whether this is good or bad. If they're a narcissist, walk away. Just walk away now. Do not interact further with that person as much as you have to. And if they have all those traits, run
0: Get out of
1: there. <laughs> get get as far away as possible.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's push them out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, that answer is, how do you steer clear of one? <laughs> yeah. You You push them away while you're running away. Thank you. Yeah,
1: there you go.
0: Um, <laughs> do you think that uh, if you have a friend or you have somebody that you are within your circle, let's say, that you feel follows this suit, are, can they be changed, do you think?
1: Change, not so much. Uh, what you really need to look at is which traits they have. If, if they were in the, uh, if they were psychopathic, then you should evaluate other aspects of their personality. But if they're a narcissist, I would slowly remove ties through a process called gray rocking. Um, and what gray rocking is, is when you talk to somebody who's a narcissist, they inherently want excitement out of you. They want drama. They want to know the dirt on somebody. They want to know something that's going on. And above all else, they want it to tie into praising them in some way. And so by gray rocking, by being an incredibly lackluster, boring individual who has no drama going on at all, they're going to lose interest in you. And that's the best and safest way to deal with a narcissist because they don't handle rejection well. So put yourself in a scenario where you're just not fun to be around anymore so that they will reject you. And if you're in a romantic relationship, this goes double if you're a woman, maybe even triple if you're a woman, uh, do this gray rocking, make yourself not fun to be around, and then brace because they will tell stories to everyone about you afterwards. Uh, narcissists don't like having exes, and so they have to come up with reasons for why. So if, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist and you're a woman, get ready because once it does end, they're, they're going to tell everybody in their grandma, oh, I just couldn't be with her anymore. She was too freaky. Oh, uh, you wouldn't believe the stuff she got up to. Oh, it, it was messed up. I had to call the fire marshal on one occasion. She's just a a nut. That's how they generally pave over uh, pre-existing relationships.
0: Wow, that's too bad. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I think. Do you think society? Uh, and again, obviously, this is all subjective in its opinion, sure. our opinions. But, yeah, you know, I I believe. And do you think that society has kind of opened the door to allow more? of that type of behavior to come out? Oh,
1: without question. Uh, I mean, we have we've created a perfect storm where having those traits has become an asset rather than a liability. If you look at like literally human history up until the Industrial Revolution, up until that point, if you had those kind of traits, you are either going to be a really charismatic lord or chieftain or more likely you were eventually going to be ostracized as the weirdo who doesn't care about the tribe, about the group. Altruism was a huge part of human civilization up until very recently. And with the industrial revolution and a doubly so with the advent of, of uh, famous people, you know, I, I should use air quotes, uh, celebrities that all got started with opera in the, the industrial era. Um, now all of a sudden you have an, Instance where having those traits means that you'll be successful, not not necessarily, but it can absolutely springboard you to success. Having those traits, you could be a politician, you could be a CEO, you could have you know five ex-wives and twenty kids because you used to be a rock star. Um, you can have those traits, and now we're seeing it far worse on social media. I mean, now we're seeing people who you know they'll get millions of subscribers because you know hey guys i i found this cat it was drowning and i rescued it and everybody thinks they're a saint and now they've got women throwing themselves at them and you know turns out they they were drowning the cat and then they turned the camera on when they were pulling it out of the bucket that's uh it's very disturbing i do think that it's going to be uh on the rise in the coming decades and it's not going to bode well
0: yeah I i agree with you in that regard i think the society has kind of turned turned a corner in regard to that and i think that uh This is just again from a personal perspective. This is my opinion, and this comes from. I grew up. I grew up in the in the '60s and the '70s. I grew up in in uh, the racial tension. I grew up in the hippie world. I I went through all that. I've watched it change, and I've watched it change to one way. And now, unfortunately, I'm watching a lot of traits come back, and society has started. I won't say turning evil, but they've really, they've really lost what society is meant to be. Yeah. I, and know, uh,
1: but- and this is my radical take on it. I <laughs> this is me going really wild with it. But uh, I think that as we create a more globalized and technolo- technology driven world, uh, that that's going to be on the rise. And the solution is actually to just be more tribal. You know, we, we have
0: to go back. <laughs> well, and I, you know, and, and I and I hate to say this when I say this, you know, reality is is that society created a normal that was prior to to, to 2020. COVID had its, it was a double edged sword. Of yeah. course, it was the devastating aspect of, of six, over 600,000 people died from it. And There's more people dying from it. it mm-hmm. uh, I mean, here in the United States, obviously, worldwide, it's like over four million. They closed down economies. They closed down countries. So yeah. from that perspective, it was a double-edged sword. But from a humanity, or a compassion perspective, from, from, a, uh, from that perspective, you found more community. Like in Italy, they were showing people in the neighborhoods, leaning out the windows and singing and serenading people and pulling the whole neighborhood together to stick together through this, even though they were all stuck in, in their apartments. And France did the same thing. You know, in in America here, we saw people um, leaning out and um, clapping and and cheering the nurses and the doctors that that were going in. It created an environment for people to, like my wife and I, my wife and I have been together for 32 years. It's a long time. We've been through a hell of a lot, especially with me getting injured, my disease, my wheelchair, my surgeries, everything we've been through, like my whole family. Absolutely. You know, you get in that grind every day. She drives an hour and 20 minutes to work fighting traffic here in Phoenix. She drives an hour or more, hour and 20 minutes or more, coming home in the same nasty traffic. We took a pause last year. She got to work from home for an hour and a half. Her commute was 30 seconds. We had lunch every day. We had breakfast every day. We went on the back patio, and instead of her drive to work, we sat on the back patio watching the birds and the hummingbirds, and and look at the, the bunnies in the backyard. And in Colorado we had elk. Here we have bunnies. <laughs> mm. um, you know, it it and and having a cup of tea. She had a thirty second commute. It was great. Yeah. And, and it allowed us to take the time to meditate and with take the time with each other to go. Hey, we forgot what it's like to have breakfast or lunch together. We forgot what it's like to be have dinner at a decent time instead of eight o'clock at night. Because, you know, by the time you get home, right. it's a situation. So. How do we know that's not the normal how do Uh, how do we know uh, that was the norm exactly you know
1: that's yeah i mean uh, unironically a hundred thousand years ago this is what people did they they woke up really really early the women would pick food sometimes the men would too the men would go on you know five human being hunting parties with a couple of dogs and the rest of their time almost all of their time was just spent socializing and relaxing it was it was an easier life <laughs> oddly enough absolutely and, and, and you absolutely had to rely on each other uh the, the tribal existence that we evolved for is the natural state of being and and the closer we can get to that and and the way people can do that is is creating tight-knit close communities um that's really the best and healthiest way for people to live not just in terms of avoiding the dark triad personality traits, but just being fulfilled and happy in general.
0: I agree with that 100%. I agree with that. And I think, unfortunately, you said something earlier about social media. Social media is creating mm-hmm. those environments for that because oh, you yeah. know, it's how many listeners can I get, or I, they get mad because they haven't reached a certain number of listeners or a certain yeah. number of subscribers or a certain number of follows. And that, you know, look at me, look at me, what can I do to get to that million I mean, uh, obviously, I'm on social media for my podcast. I'm on social media. It's a requirement. I have to be there. But my goal is to get more listeners, which kind of falls into the same thing in a sense, because in reality, I'm trying to provide something for people that allows them to be motivated, inspired, to be educated. And and
1: you hit the nail on the head. You're, You're trying to create something with value. Whereas exactly. these, these narcissistic types, they are the thing of value, and the listeners are a measurement of their value
0: exactly. rather, than some,
1: rather than what they make being a commodity to improve other people's lives.
0: 100%. Speaking of commodities, let's talk about the 13th floor. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the 13th floor and what's coming up next.
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, 13th floor is myself, Alex, and Cece. And uh, we talk about conspiracy theories, paranormal things, cryptids, just all things strange. That's that's our tagline, keep it strange. And uh, today, oddly enough, at the time of this recording, which might be in the future, uh, we just came out with Modern Vampires. And next week we are coming out with Ghost Ships. So those are two very fun episodes. They were very fun to record.
0: Outstanding. And where can they find you?
1: Uh, we're on all major platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple, um, I mean, we're everywhere. Just just look for 13th Floor Podcast and look for the little red stairs and black and white stripes and and give us a listen.
0: And you got it. You can take a screenshot of this on YouTube or I'll have all that stuff in the show notes as well. So that you have easy access to find the 13th Floor. It's a great podcast. You really Thank need you. to listen to it. It's got some very interesting stories. It'll educate you. It will motivate you. It might scare you a little bit, but you need to be there.
1: Awesome. Thanks much.
0: So, this is one more thing before you go. And as you know from the last time, I always ask before we leave and in this episode, do you have any words of wisdom?
1: Um, if somebody does not behave in accordance to uh, to the boundaries that you've set, you're better off looking for, for better friends, better relationships, even better family. Um, and that that absolutely counts. If If a family member As close as you are to them exhibits these traits to the point that it's toxic at that point you're better off without them so walk away
0: great words of wisdom i really appreciate that thank you james leo york thank you very much for joining me on this program i know you as leo your fans know you as james so i know both of you
1: (laughs) (laughs) thanks thanks for having me i appreciate
0: this conversation stand by one second if you will please Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening.
1: One more thing before you go A unique conversation about life
0: podcast is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.